Amen. Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. As Sue said, um, well, my name is Tim Bryant. I'm uh, part of the elder team here at Highland with a bunch of great guys. And uh, Jason, of course, has been in Nashville this week uh, doing uh, Brittany's funeral, ministering to her family, reconnecting probably with a bunch of great friends. And so we prayed for them this morning as they travel back safely and we uh, we are so appreciative of, of him and all that he's done. So um, the interesting thing is, you know, when uh, Jason asked me last week if I would uh, pick up the service and the series this week, I, I was pretty excited. I mean, I, I really like the Word of God and I love to share. And if you know me, you know I love to talk, so uh, that's not a problem. And But then I realized he totally set me up. Because I said, okay, well, all right, we're doing the songs to climb the mountain. What song are we doing this week? And he said, oh, it's Psalm 123. So I look at Psalm 123. It has four verses for crying out loud. And so um, I'm looking at this and I think, okay, that means that I can do this probably probably in about six minutes um, and possibly gain the status of your favorite Bible teacher ever. Just let you go early. Um, or, and you know how that, you know what that means. Or we can dig a little deeper into what the word says and try to find out, uh, what, what it really means. So anyway, uh, then I was thinking, all right, so to really do this right and to be like Jason, cause you know, that's what I, that's what I gotta do. Um, I got to come up with like some cool things to reach you guys and be relevant, which as a matter of fact, I, I know is a word that Jason really hates, relevant. But anyway, so I thought, well, I can use uh, maybe short, impactful videos from uh, Lord of the Rings, I guess, which would be, you know, something that would stretch out the time a little bit, be exciting, you know, just just really knock you guys out with it. Um, and then I thought, well, I could show maybe an old photo of myself so you'd know that I, I look as goofy as maybe Jason did back in his day. Um, yeah, I did have an afro and a pick, as a matter of fact. So, uh, um, But then I thought, well, what does Jason really do that, that really connects with people? And so I thought, well, I can show you cute pictures of my kids. Um, and, and do the illustrations that way so that you would know, you know, all the things that are going on. So there's little Caroline and little Ben, and then there's big Caroline and big Ben. So anyway, um, but of course, uh, none of that really makes any difference. So we're going to get off of that. But our, our current series, as, as Sue said, is Songs to Climb the Mountain. Now there are 15 Psalms in the book of Psalms from from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 that are all called what they called songs of ascent. And so that's where we get this, this thought process of songs to climb the mountains. Um, and, and in those, they're, they're kind of like traveling songs, okay? So if you, if you can just picture that for a minute, scholars think that, uh, that these psalms may have been sung by the worshipers when they were on their way to Jerusalem. Um, sort of like marching songs, you know, it's, uh, they, they walked many of the places they went, so 
So it's like a marching song, you know, something to keep the kids' minds off of, I'm tired, I'm hungry, can we stop there, kinds of things as they're on the way to Jerusalem. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's songs to sing on the camel, um, if you could afford a camel. And um, so anybody, but they're, all of these, each of them are short, fairly short, and they're reminders of things um, as you go up to Jerusalem. And many of these would be familiar to you. I'm going to just, just quote a couple of them. So first one was, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. That's uh, Psalm 122. Um, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They will not be defeated. Psalm 125. Psalm 126, when the Lord brought us back from captivity, we were like men who dream. Again, all of these are very familiar songs. They would be like from your childhood. You would remember each of them. Uh, 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the worker or the work of the builders is wasted. Again, just short reminders. Angie and I were talking yesterday. We remember, you know, traveling with our kids when they were younger. And um, we couldn't, we couldn't remember, and maybe you can help us. We couldn't remember whether it was the last hour of the trip or the last 30 minutes, but I think it was the last 30 minutes. Um, and what I mean by that, the last 30 minutes, whether the trip was 10 hours or three hours or seven, in the last 30 minutes, the backseat of our car would completely explode. And everybody was touching everybody, and everybody was mad at somebody, and everybody was yelling and screaming. And I remember, I mean, I, I can almost hear it echo through the valleys around here. I remember saying all the time, oh my goodness, we've been in this car for 10 hours. We got 30 more minutes and you guys come all the way apart. And so one of the Psalms here uh, is Psalm 133, and I can just hear some desperate parents singing it loudly as they go up to Jerusalem. And it is one that you may also remember. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in harmony. What a reminder. What a reminder. So this morning we're, doing, we're on Psalm 123. And, and uh, 123 is, is a good one to me because it's about one of my favorite words. And that is the word mercy. Um, and so we're, let's, just, uh, let's just take a look at Psalm 123 and we'll, we'll read the whole psalm here. I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. We keep looking to the Lord our God for his mercy, just as servants keep their eyes on their master, as a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy, for we have had our fill of contempt. We've had more than our fill of the scoffing of the proud and the contempt of the arrogant. So again, a, a song of ascent, a song of mercy, and as Sue reminded us, a song that, that early on reminds us where to look. I love, I love it. She said, when we're feeling sad, when we're feeling uh, not confident, where are our eyes? And one of the little ones this morning just immediately said, down, they, we look down. And so this, this psalm begins with a reminder of where our eyes should be, what position should we take? We should be looking up. 
Looking up is a position of confidence in the one in whom we believe. It's, it's really a position of faith. Um, you may recall when Sherry shared uh, sometime last year about, you know, Jesus uh, is going through the things that are going to happen. There'll be wars and there'll be rumors of wars and there's going to be trouble and there's going to be uh, activities and things that, that'll be really frightening. And, I, and how many of you, I mean, I don't know about you, but I think we're living in some of those times right now. Um, we're living in a day when we actually have, have seen 21 Christians uh, beheaded on a beach, dying for their faith. That's, that's not been something that we've seen a lot of, but we're, we're in a world where those things are starting to occur again, although they have been here with us many, for many years. But in Luke 21, uh, Jesus says, so when all these things begin to happen, stand, there's a posture, and look up. And so it's not to be downcast. It's not to, to look, um, look away or look to the side or look for any other place for your help. It's to look up. And then uh, the first part of verse 2, it says, We keep looking to the Lord for His mercy. Now, the interesting thing about mercy, and, and, and this morning... Uh, we're going we're gonna to take a look at that. Mer- mercy uh, for the psalmist was different than it is for us. Um, for the psalmist and the person who wrote this psalm, mercy was something that they had, to, they had to go to Jerusalem to get. The high priest had to, uh, to do this. Uh, and then in our case, because of what our high priest, Jesus, has done, we have full mercy, um, and, and we're going to dig into that a little bit more but then the final, the final piece this morning is, not only do we have mercy, but there's a lot of time Jesus spends encouraging us to show mercy to others as well. So when they would go up to Jerusalem, there was a place of mercy, and it was called the mercy seat. Now, this, this isn't... Uh, like some place that you would go up in, Ju- in Jerusalem where you take your kids to play and they, they jump off the mercy seat and uh, swing on the angel's wings and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, actually, uh, Indiana Jones had it fairly right uh, when, he, when, when they honored and talked about this Ark of the Covenant. Um, this is a picture of what the Ark uh, truly looked like. It was, it was a wooden box that was overlaid with gold. Um, the lid on top here is called the mercy seat. And then the cherubim are those that minister to, to God himself. So the, the, inside this, this box are, are three things. They had the tablets, which were the Ten Commandments. Um, they had Aaron's rod, which was a reminder of the miracles that were performed in Egypt as they were released from captivity. You remember the, they threw it down and uh, it became a snake. And uh, when the Egyptians threw theirs down, Aaron's rod actually ate the snakes that theirs became. So again, a, a, a reminder of the power, um, a reminder of the priesthood uh, of Aaron. And then that rod also, we find in Scripture, also budded and actually grew uh, some little buds like it was, uh, it was buried in the earth, but it wasn't, obviously. And again, a miraculous reminder. 
The other thing that was inside this box was a little golden pot uh, that represented the manna that God had provided for the, uh, for the Israelites during their wandering years. So God's provision. So all of these are reminders of God's presence with his people on the earth. And you see the poles that are on the sides, and there was a certain specific way you were supposed to carry this thing, and it mostly um, sat in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent that uh, had inside it um, some curtains, and it was a place called the Holy of Holies. So this ark was inside the tabernacle, and later on it was inside the temple. Um, again, God's presence, God's uh, a reminder of who he is, but a separation. There was a, there was a veil, even in the temple, there was a big and thick veil that kept a separation. The priest only went in there one time a year, um, and it was the place called the Holy of Holies. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people that the people had committed in ignorance. So again... Um, when you want to talk about mercy, and, and, and when the psalmist begins to write a song about mercy, it, it's not exactly the way we see mercy anymore. It was a very different place, um, and it was a very special, very holy place, and, um, and only one person was allowed into that spot. There's even a, uh, a story. This isn't... Uh, I, I dug around on this one a little bit because I had heard that the priest... They used to tie a rope around like one of his ankles just in case he wasn't acceptable in the Holy of Holies and they could pull him out because you couldn't go in there. Um, there's some question about whether that's, uh, that's for real or not. But, but anyway, so we got the lid. Let's go back to that picture if you don't mind. Uh, we have the lid called the mercy seat. Now this mercy seat is where God's presence rested and this is where the priest would take the blood of a lamb and go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on top of this, on top of this mercy seat. And then it would bring atonement for, or the forgiveness of sins uh, for the people. So the mercy seat, in effect, concealed the people of God from the ever-condemning judgment of the law. Remember, the Ten Commandments were inside this box, but God's mercy was sitting on top of it. Um, Previously, the only place where the people of God could obtain mercy was in this spot in the Holy of Holies and through the actions of the high priest. Now, the good news is um, we have a high priest ourselves, and he has accomplished something different. So if we move on in Hebrews to chapter, uh, in chapter 9, verse 11, here's what he says. So Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all and secured our redemption forever. Hallelujah. 
So now let, let's think about this a minute. Why wasn't mercy available? Why, you know, we always have this argument with people who say, if God's such a good God, why doesn't he just go, okay, I know y'all have been bad, but everybody come on in. Um, well, the, the problem is God is a God of justice. And so a, a part of his nature um, is justice, and justice comes with judgment. I mean, that is all there is to it. And so he set it up so that his people could receive mercy through the blood of a, of a perfect lamb sacrificed and when it was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Um, but there was a time when mercy was not available just, you know, just open and, and for anyone. I remember a song uh, that I, uh, we used to sing or listen to that was about mercy. You know, mercy came running. Everybody remember Phillips, Craig, and Dean? Um, we saw them a few years ago, and it just scared the heck out of me because they were like in walkers and canes or something. And they sounded a little bit like themselves. Um, but, but anyway, they have a song called Mercy Came Running, and I'm going to just read the, read the words. It said, Once there was a holy place. Evidence of God's embrace. And I can almost see mercy's face pressed against the veil. Looking down with longing eyes, mercy must have realized that once his blood was sacrificed, freedom would prevail. And as the sky grew dark and the earth began to shake, with justice no longer in the way, mercy came running. So Jesus, in the blood that he shared, in the act of, of uh, love for us and mercy, um, opened up a way for us. You may recall when, uh, when on Calvary, when he, was, when he said it was finished, part of what happened was the, the veil inside the temple was torn from top to bottom. Um, I've always been fascinated by that, and I, I wonder, I'd love to hear an interview with the priest who happened to be near that curtain when the, it had to be the hand of God himself just simply ripped it all the way open. What a picture. And so through Christ, we have access to mercy and to God himself. So now, we know where to look. And we know what we're looking for. But there's another little aspect of this, uh, this psalm in, uh, in verse 2 of Psalm 123, where he says, We keep looking to the Lord our God for his mercy, just as a servant keeps their eye on their master, or as a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. This is a picture of, of one who is ready or on point, looking for the slightest indication. According to the psalm, it's, it's a posture that we should take with the Lord, a picture of expectation and anticipation, the slightest signal. Um, are you, can you imagine being so in touch with God that even if He just, even if he just moved His head slightly, you would kind of know what's next or know how to move or know what to do. Um, I don't know if there are any Downton Abbey fans in here, but uh, you don't have to raise your hands, but I know that all of you are for the most part. 
In Downton, we see servants. I mean, we, we don't really have that in our culture anymore, but at Downton, we see servants that watch very carefully, and they, they meet every need. And in, in many cases, um, the master or the Lord is communicating with them without, without any indication. You know, you don't just go, Oh, Carson, wonder if you would get this, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Carson knows what to do. He's watching. I remember years ago, um, Angie's parents used to come up. We would uh, have them up on the weekends when we were in college at Western. And we used to go up to Highlands, uh, up, up above Cashers in the mountains. Highlands is a kind of a rich town. I think, uh, I think Burt, Burt Reynolds had a house up there, and there was a, you know, some movie stars, and I've heard some others since have. Um, there's a big golf course, a big, beautiful place, and... Uh, but there was this uh, there was this um, auction house with really high end kind of cool stuff, you know, all those candelabras and beautiful things. And we would go to those auctions sometimes, and I was always fascinated because the auctioneer knew when somebody was uh, was making a bid, but not everybody knew who was making a bid. You know, so you guys you guys out there, um, you know, when you just slightly move your hand and touch your nose, and uh, move or raise those hands right there. Yep, 25, 25, 30, 35, 35, 40, and so forth. Now, it wasn't an auction like that. It was very quiet and very high-end and uh, fascinating to watch. But again, it's a picture of watching and being alert and aware. Can you imagine living your life leaning into God in that way? On the edge of your chair, waiting for his signal, waiting for his blessing, waiting for instruction on what he would like for you to do next. I mean, come on, that is not a posture that most of us take. Um, and, and, it's, and it's unfortunate, but, but it's, a, it's something we need to learn to do, to watch and to wait. So we're talking about mercy this morning. We've got, um, we, we know that we all need it. We know that we all want mercy, right? How many of you would like mercy instead of what you deserve? Okay. And I'm sorry for the others who didn't raise their hand. Um, the, um, we don't deserve it, but we desire it, obviously. Jesus told several stories uh, and, and, and talking with the, uh, his disciples and the people most of his, a lot of his stories were about mercy, about about uh, uh, justice and judgment and those kinds of things. And I, I just want to run through a few of them on mercy. Um, and one is Luke four, uh, fifteen verse four, where he says, "If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds him? And when he has found him, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. 
Jesus oftentimes is talking to a mixed crowd. He's got sinners and he's got and tax collectors and prostitutes and publicans, all those people. And he also has uh, the uh, religious crowd, the Pharisees, who are always listening, always trying to trap him, always trying to set him up. So he was almost always talking to the Pharisees. And anytime he talks about mercy, uh, that was difficult uh, for them. So he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Luke 15, chapter 25, we find the story of the prodigal son. And here, um, here we have the young man who's gone off and wasted all everything, and, and he's come back home, and his father is so excited. What a picture of mercy that is. He gets embraced. He's filthy. He gets the robe. He gets the ring. He gets set back into the family. But let's look at what happens uh, with his older brother. Starting in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older brother, or the older son, was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Hey, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. I can just see the excitement on the older brother's face. Yes, my younger brother's back. Well, the older brother was angry, and he would not go in the house. So his father came out to him and begged him. Now, this is a different culture. This would be very disgraceful. Not only is it disgraceful for your son, your youngest son, to say, Dad, you are dead to me. Give me my inheritance and let me go. So... But it's also pretty disgraceful for a son not to be willing to go into the house when there's a big party and everybody in town is invited. And here's what he says to his father. All these years I slaved for you and never once refused to do one single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never even gave one of your young goats for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. What a picture of mercy. Again, another story that Jesus is telling. And uh, the very first part of, uh, of that chapter says that Jesus was talking to uh, tax collectors and other notorious sinners and the Pharisees. So the, the son, the older brother, who should have embraced his younger brother and been excited, um, and notice he wants everything, the interesting thing about this guy is that he, he didn't realize who he was. He'd been there all this time, slaving, all doing all the right things, checking off all the right boxes. Um, apparently, from his father's indication, he probably could have picked a goat and had a goat party. I mean, you know, it would have been okay. Um, the father said, everything I've ever, I have is yours. What, what are you talking about? But so the brother who wants everything 
refuses to show mercy to his younger brother. And he even, he even turns that accusation almost into a, I don't know, a cuss word or something. That son of yours. Not that brother of mine, but that son of yours. Hmm. Your brother is back, and your father has shown mercy on him. Again, remember who's in this crowd. But let me tell you who else is in this crowd. We are. And we always want mercy. And in fact, we can give you a long list of reasons why maybe we deserve it. Why we've done things right. Why we, uh, we always did the right thing. Why we were always in the field and we were the good son. Um, and yet, when there's a time where God is showing mercy to others, sometimes we, we show it like this instead. And sometimes when people come back and they ask for forgiveness or they, they, uh, they want to restore, um, we, we don't exactly give mercy right away, at least not like the Father does. Luke 18, verse 19, or, or verse 9, uh, it says, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Aren't I something? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So the the point is that Jesus is completely about mercy. Jesus is about access. Jesus was willing to go all the way to the cross so that we could have complete access. It's not an argument about um, a God who, if he was so loving, wouldn't allow so many things to happen in the earth. It's about a God who was willing to set justice aside by giving mercy through the blood and allowing us into his presence. And there's one more place where um, we hear the story of an unmerciful servant. The New Living uh, Translation says that this unmerciful servant owed his master millions of dollars. But when he begs for his life and asks for mercy, the master forgives his debt completely. And on the way home, however, he meets someone who owes him thousands of dollars. And he has him thrown in jail until he can pay. So let's pick up in Matthew 18, verse 31. 
When some of the other servants saw what had happened, they were really upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called in the man who had forgiven, who had been forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the anger of the king, uh, the ang- uh, then the king angry uh, sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his debt. Now um, you can't really see that on the monitor, but verse thirty-five in, in uh, Matthew eighteen is also in red letters. What does that mean? That Jesus said it. So Jesus is continuing to speak, and here's what Jesus says. That's why what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So the picture that we have here is an excitement about mercy, an excitement about going up to Jerusalem. Let's go up to Zion, the city of our king. Let's be excited about the mercy that he gives. And yet, so many times, um, Jesus is trying to point out that, you know what, you got that mercy freely, and you need to also give it freely as well. And that's something that I think our hearts really uh, need some check on. Because we, man, I want mercy for myself. But I got a list of things you need to do before I can give you mercy. And that's just plain wrong. In Matthew 5, verse 7, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said this, God loves the merciful, for they will receive mercy. So we all know where to look for mercy, and we seek it diligently for ourselves. And as we close this morning, and uh, Nate and the band can Come back up this way. I want to, uh, I want to just take a minute and talk about um, about mercy, about being willing, about being able to offer it, about accepting from God something that we don't often give to others. You may have noticed that in the past few weeks, uh, Jason's been opening up the sides up here on this side and on this side for prayer. And we're going to do the same thing this morning. I'd like uh, some jail leaders and elders and their wives maybe to, to come up here and, and be ready for that. I want to remind you that uh, prayer is something that we really value here. Um, it's not just lip service. We really believe in it. And what we've been trying to do in the last months is, is model that um, by making it available. So I just want to say, you know, these people that are, come up and stand here are your friends. Um, they're here to help you walk through whatever it is that you're facing. Maybe you need forgiveness. Uh, Maybe you need to forgive. 
Don't feel like you, you might be inconveniencing them by coming up or asking for prayer. I can assure you it's far more inconvenient to stand over there uh, by yourselves with no, ask, no asking for prayer um, when no one comes. So don't be afraid to come if you need, need something. Don't be afraid to ask for prayer, but please, more than that, don't feel like you have to be so strong that you don't need anything. Don't feel like you have to act like you got it together. Because every one of us in this room, we're in the same boat because we're in a body that's broken and we've got our ups and our downs. We all need mercy. We all need one another. So as we continue in worship this morning, uh, I just want to encourage you to, to, be, to be willing to, to come up and ask and let's pray and seek the Lord together. And let's worship him uh, this morning as, in a, with a heart of thankfulness for his mercy for us uh, given and, and given to us so freely. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness and mercy to us. We thank you, Lord, for the words that are written on our hearts. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would reveal, God, even right now this morning, if there are those that we need to forgive. There's seldom any place in your word that is any more harsh towards us than those indications of what you think about us when we are unwilling to forgive. So God, we pray that you would help us to see our hearts, Lord, and that we would stand humbly before you. In Jesus' name.